Is it just as important for us? Church, is it just as important? It is. So, with that in mind, take a seat. Genesis chapter 29. I am so grateful to be back in the pulpit. I want to thank Pastor Andy publicly for his ministry to us these past two Sundays. Um, What it allowed me to do was just like take naps in my office. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. What it allowed me to do is actually focus on some other things ministry-wise that needed taken care of. And so I really appreciate him taking time to prepare and preach for us. But as we come to the Old Testament, and back in Genesis again this morning, especially as the Old Testament pertains to God's chosen people, Israel, um, we're met with some really stunning paradoxes. You ever stop to think about it, and maybe you do think about it, and you're like, this is just kind of really odd. But here you have God's people with really strong leaders, like, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? I mean, these are the guys that are like, and they're the pinnacle. These guys are these great leaders. But what we have seen is, is that they have really soft underbellies, don't they? They're these big, strong leaders, and they have got some glaring weaknesses, right? On top of their glaring weaknesses, can we just say it? They make some really stupid decisions, too, right? They made some really dumb decisions we've seen, and they commit some pretty egregious sins, don't they? Like, really? You mean the line of Christ comes through people who do that? Yeah. And at times it seems that God just doesn't even pay attention to those sins. You ever, you ever read the Old Testament and you're like, Why do you just ignore that, God? Why is it that you seemingly let that go? And one of those things we see in our text today, because in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, from the very beginning in the garden, what is God's plan for marriage, church? One man, one woman, marriage, right? In fact, it's a covenant where God God says later on in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, did not God make you one in the covenant of marriage, right? One man, one woman. Yet, two of the three patriarchs, Abraham and Abraham's grandson, Jacob, they practiced polygamy, didn't they? You know, we saw two weeks ago, when Pastor Andy was in the beginning of chapter 29, that Jacob was deceived by his uncle. Don't you just kind of love that dripping with irony part of that? That the deceiver gets deceived? I mean, it's kind of poetic justice, isn't it? And instead of the agreed-upon arrangement of seven years of labor for Rachel, I mean, think about it, seven years, Jacob is happy to go to work. Jacob is doing over and above. This is the guy who, you know, is throwing the cover off the well for Rachel and doing all this stuff. For seven years, he is working hard, and he gets to day number 364 on year six, and he is just like, I can't wait for tomorrow. And he wakes up in year seven, day one, and it's like, oh, Leah. Yeah. He's given an older sister, and what we saw is it didn't stop his desire for Rachel. He worked seven more years for Rachel, didn't he? But in that seven-year period, what a household. 
What a household. You've got a guy who's leading the household who's a deceiver, right? Okay, he's a deceiver. And, 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 and it's hard for the leopard to change his spots, right? So, so you've got a guy who, who's a manipulator deceiver, and then you've got two sisters, literally sister wives here, who are combative and manipulative themselves. Sign me up for that, right? I want to live there. You've got one wife who is favored over the other, right? You've got one who is the, the apple of Jacob's eye, and, and then you have another wife who's able to have children, and the thing is, they're not the same wife. Uh-oh. We've got a problem here. Then, then on top of it in our text today, the, the women are so smart and so wise, and Jacob is so wise to go along with their plan, not only are there two wives, but they throw in two other women in the mix. Like, what in the world are you people thinking? What a mess. What a mess. But before you cast stones, how many of you can just honestly say about your life, what a mess? When you look back over the course of your life, what a mess. Well, we're not much different, are we? So this morning, we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, and we're going to read down to verse 24 of chapter 30. And I want you to catch, this is more than just how we figure out how we got the 12 tribes of Israel. I want you to catch some of the interpersonal stuff that's going on here, because I think there's some, good, there's some good truth in here for all of us this morning. So Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. She conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her, that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children... She took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come, so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy, so she called his name Asher. 
In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. How many of you are exhausted after reading that? <laughs> I mean, it's like we're watching TLC or something, <laughs> right? I mean, this is, this, this, there's nothing new under the sun though, right? What is going on here? We got a mess. So let's pray. Father, what a mess we got here in front of us. Yet in the middle of all this mess, you still get the glory because you accomplished your purposes. You remain faithful because there is no God like you. And there are truly no other gods. You are the one true God. You are the source of life. You're the source of good. You're the source of grace and mercy. Help us now as we dig into this messy passage. Give us ears to hear, hearts to believe your truth. Spirit, convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment as you promised to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled the message, Who Makes Babies? But we could probably call it Birth Wars. <laughs> Couldn't we? I mean, who knew? Who knew that a womb was so powerful? But it's not the kind of birth wars that are being waged today. When I was thinking about birth wars, I went and Googled it, and I realized there's a whole thing called birth wars. I didn't know that. There's a movie called Birth Wars. And it's about the, the idea of, should we use traditional medicine and doctors to birth our babies, or should we use midwives? And I am not touching that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> that is for another Sunday and Pastor Andy to handle, okay? <laughs> I am not going there. But what we got here is a war of two women who are fighting for the affection of their husband. They're fighting for honor. And, and, and they're going about it totally the wrong way. And so if you're looking for a lot of really deep doctrine in this passage, I've, I've got disappointing news for you. There's not a lot of deep doctrine here, okay? But what I want to do is follow the account because all of God's word is profitable, is it not, church? I want to follow the account here because there's, there's a lot of good truth in here for us. And I'm just going to follow the outline as Moses kind of records it. And Moses kind of records it for us in four, in four stages, and it's basically based on who's the one giving birth, is how he kind of breaks this all down. So we begin with four sons for Leah. And let's go back to verse 31 of chapter 29, and, and let's, let's understand a few things here. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, notice first of all 
Who's paying attention to all this whole thing? Who's paying attention to this whole, this whole thing? Does God know that, that Jacob has got a mess on his hands now because he's got two wives? Is God fully aware of this church? Yeah, God's paying attention to all of this. And not only that, he's paying attention to the personal dynamics that are going on here. And I, I find that comforting. How many of you get yourself in interpersonal struggles where, where you get yourself in tough situations where, where you feel like people don't like you and where, and where, you're, where you're like, man, I, I'm not really cared for in this situation. How many of you actually have what we call enemies? Take comfort. God's paying attention. God's paying attention to Leah. Jacob is certainly not paying attention to Leah, is he? But God is. That word hated is an interesting word. We think of it in terms of intense love and the opposite of love, hate. That's not the way it really means in the Hebrew language. It means that she's rejected. She's rejected. And she's rejected over and over and over. Now, I'm not trying to, to make this, you know, like super R-rated this morning, but understand this. Every time that Rachel would go into Jacob's bedroom at night, what is Leah feeling? Is she feeling rejected? Is she feeling, feeling unloved? Is she feeling overlooked? And, and let's be honest, there, there's no doubt here that, that the pecking order is this. It's Rachel up here with Jacob and Leah way down here. She probably isn't treated much differently than her own servant Zilpah is treated. Jacob looks at her as like a necessary evil, okay? And, it, and honestly, Leah is a daily reminder to Jacob of the fact that the deceiver got deceived, isn't she? Every day, she is a reminder to Jacob of, man, Laban pulled a fast one over on me, didn't he? And so probably, <laughs> if Jacob is like you and I are, he looks at Leah and it probably just gets him a little angry, right? Makes him mad. It, it really bothers him. And so he doesn't treat her well. But what we see in this already messy marriage is that God is at work and that God is going to do some widening of the family tree here in a big way. And God does something in verse 31 that only God can do. Who opens women's wombs? Who makes babies, church? God does. God makes babies. In fact, we see God doing something here that only God can do. He opens one wife's womb, but he keeps another wife's womb closed. Doesn't he? God, in his sovereign purposes, is going to accomplish something here. Now, I don't expect for you and I to fully figure out what God's going to do. But I want you to see the heart of Leah in all of this. And we learn a lot about Leah by just the names that she gives to her sons. Okay? We don't necessarily put a lot of meaning or a lot of association with meaning on the names that we name our kids today, right? I've talked to parents who who named their children, sometimes I'll say, so why did you come up with that name? In the back of my mind, I'm like, what were you thinking? Like, why did you name your kid that name? And, and they'll be like, oh, I just like the name, or I knew somebody who was named that, or whatever. 
in the Old Testament, during this time, names meant something. They had, they had deep significance, right? So if we just look at the progression of the names that are named, in verse 32, the first son's name is Reuben. And, and, and basically what that name means is, look, I have a son. I did it. I have a son. And in Leah's mind, what did she think that son was going to accomplish for her? My husband now will love me because I did something that Rachel can't do. Rachel's the better looking one. Rachel's the one that makes him happy. Rachel this, Rachel that, Rachel. But Leah, mother. Mother of a son. And we know from this time and from, and from culture and from, from cultural significance, is there anything more important to a father than to have a son? No. He's got a son that he can hand everything down to, right? He now, now Leah can say this. All those promises that God made to you, Jacob, they came true through me, through Leah. But apparently, Jacob doesn't love her still, does he? Because you get to the second son in verse 33, she conceived again, and, and, and Wives, be honest with me, you're listening to, you're reading this passage of scripture, you're like, all, the, all that he thinks she is is a baby factory, right? Because, because what we have here, in the space of five years, we have eight kids being born in this household. Can you imagine the utter chaos? The utter chaos. No wonder Jacob was always working all the time. Son number two, we see Simeon come along in verse 33. Simeon's name means this, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand, or the Lord has heard me. He's right here with me. And, and now her prayer is this, God certainly heard my cry here to have a son and to be loved by my husband, and, and now my husband is going to love me. We can take some positive news in this. Leah's at least doing what at this point? She's praying. She's looking to God, right? But we know from verse 34 that the love still hasn't kindled for those two, has it? She says in verse 34, now this time my husband will be attached to me. Do you see how Leah's desires are changing here? Initially, what did she want her husband to do? She wanted to be loved. Now, now she just wants him to even just kind of even be somewhat attached to her. She just wants just something out of this. And by the time you get to verse 35, you get to son number four, Judah, and her heart has changed, hasn't it? Do you see the heart change? This time I will what? This time I'll give credit where credit's due, right? This time I'll praise the Lord. I resonate with Leah. It took Leah four hard times to finally learn the lesson, didn't it? She, it took her four times. And, 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 and now she says, I'm going to praise the Lord. Not because, not because I've won my husband's affection, but because God has provided. And let's understand what God has provided already in the first four sons. 
Pastor Andy kind of alluded to this two weeks ago, but, but I want you to understand through two of these sons, God is going to work in a profound way through the nation of Israel. It's through two of these sons, the first four kids that were born. Through Levi, the thirdborn, he is going to basically establish the priestly line for all of Israel. It's through Levi. When you, when you get farther now into the account of the scriptures, what you'll find is when you come to the book of Numbers is whenever all the inheritance is apportioned out and, 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 all the, and all the order is established there, you'll have 12 tribes that will camp around the tabernacle wherever they go. But one of the tribes doesn't have any land, and you're like, well, they only had 12, and I know that there was only 12 sons. Well, Joseph's sons, Joseph is never mentioned as one of the tribes, but his two sons are. So you take that, and you have one tribe, Levi, that's never given any land. You know why? Because they're set apart to the Lord. They're going to be the priests. They're going to be the ones who are going to serve the Lord. And so it's through Levi, the thirdborn of Leah, that God establishes the priestly tribe of Israel. Through the fourthborn, Judah, it's where God establishes the royal line. So you have the priest line and you have the king line, and they come directly through the Lord's provision through Leah. But this is just the opening, if you will, firing. This is the opening shots fired in this birth war, right? And what, and what a war started. She, she, she gets out to a dominating lead, doesn't she? If this was a soccer match, they'd call it. I mean, because you're lucky if you get one goal in a soccer match, right? They got four, okay? So, so it, it's four to nothing, and when we come to chapter 30 and verse 1, this is where we kind of have to understand what's going on behind the scenes. Put yourself in Rachel's shoes. She has watched Leah give birth to four sons. And when Jacob does come in from the fields, when he's so, so done with his day and he's so tired and he comes in, who is he bouncing on his knee? Who is he paying attention to? It's Leah's four sons. Who is the one he's going coochie-coo with? And who's the one he's blowing raspberries with? It's Leah's kids. It's not his kids. And as she watches Jacob dote on those four boys, and when she watches Leah, and, and, and let's be honest, women, you'll understand this. If you know you got the upper hand, on the wife who is favored, are you not parading those children in front of Rachel all the time? Oh, come along, Reuben. Let mommy take care of you. Simeon, don't bother, don't bother Aunt Rachel that way. She doesn't know how to deal with children. Come over here with me. <laughs> you don't think that's happening in the tents? You don't think that's going on? You don't think Leah's twisting the knife every chance she gets? And in her heart, she is burning with a hurt and with an anger, and that's a dangerous thing to burn with. She's burning with an anger, and her anger is at God, and her anger is at her husband. Notice what she does in verse 1 of chapter 30. Who does she blame? Who does she blame for her lack of a child? She blames Jacob. She is so 
envious. If I were counseling Rachel, which by, by no means would I ever sign up to do it, okay? But if Rachel came to me for counsel, I would have to look at her from across my desk and say, what are you worshiping here, Rachel? And what Rachel is worshiping is a heart idol, an idol of her own making. I will be somebody when I can be a mother. Now, we can understand that. We can understand that. All she wants is just to give her husband a child. But she wasn't getting what she wanted, was she? She didn't get what she wanted. And so she lashes out at Jacob, and Jacob is so kind and patient with her, right, in verse 2? No, he's not. He says to her, am I in the place of God? Am I God? And he basically reminds her, it's God who shut your womb, it's not me. And what he's implying there is, is we have tried. It's not my fault. It's your fault. And it's God's fault. And he reminds her, it's God who makes babies. But just like Sarah before her, what does she do? She takes matters into her own hands. She's like, I'm not going to have babies, but I am not going to go childless. So she gives her, she gives Jacob her servant. And what we find out is, is that through her surrogate, she has two sons. In, verse 3 is very interesting. There's a note in the MacArthur Study Bible on this that I just love, where it says, on my behalf. Literally what that means is, is that literally when she gave birth, when she gave birth to Dan, she was literally sitting on Rachel's knees when she gave birth. Women, wouldn't that be comfortable? You know why she did that? Because of the imagery. This wasn't going to ever be Bilhah's baby. This was going to be Rachel's baby. And as she sat there and gave birth, Rachel says, you know what? I'm going to name him Dan because Dan is just a beautiful name. <laughs> no. Because it means that she has been judged and that she has been vindicated. The name Daniel means the Lord is my judge. In other words, what she's saying is, God has judged me, Rachel, and he has seen me fit to be a mother now, and I have been vindicated. And what she is saying to her sister Leah is this, game on, game on. I now have produced a son too. There's success. And by the time you get to verses 7 and 8, when you have the second son through Bilhah born, she names him Naphtali, and that name means wrestlings. And it gives a picture of Rachel's heart in this, and Rachel is saying this, I am not giving up this easily, I am going to fight for everything, I am going to struggle with you, and even if I have to give my servant to Jacob over and over and over and over again, I am not going to let you win, Leah. I wouldn't even want to be on the camera crew that is filming in this house. Can you imagine the tension that's going on here? And we would think that Leah would have learned her lessons that God had provided, right? Because whenever the fourth, fourth son to Leah comes, whenever she gets Judah, she praises the Lord. But here's what happens when we get into interpersonal conflicts. All our theology, if we're not careful, just flies out the window, doesn't it? 
And so what does Leah do? Verse 9. Well, when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she's like, hey, Zilpah, come here. Guess what? You're now going to be Jacob's wife. And she gives her servant to Jacob as a wife. And notice verse 11. Another son is born. And, and, and she says, good fortune has come. In other words, <laughs> not so quick, Rachel. Not so quick. The score, the score is not four to two anymore. The score is five to two. And then quickly another son comes. And she says, happy am I. And women call me happy. In verse 13, I've called his name Asher. And so, so phase two of this story is, okay, we can't have children anymore, so we're going to send our slaves in there. We're going to send our servant girls in there. And, and when it's all said and done, is Rachel any farther ahead? No, she's not. So we have this really interesting illustration or story, a vignette here in verse 14 of mandrakes. And you're like, what are the mandrakes? What do the mandrakes have to do with anything? Well, they have a lot to do with it. If you read the book of Song of Solomon, which I'm sure every married couple reads annually, right? You just read it together, right? You probably should, actually. When you read Song of Solomon, you come across this idea of mandrakes. What, what in the world is going on with mandrakes in the Old Testament? Well, they were superstitiously believed to be an aphrodisiac that produced fertility. They were a love potion. That's what they thought they were. The Hebrew word for mandrakes is similar to the word for love, and so in their terminology, they called them love apples. What's interesting is Reuben, who is probably no more than five years old at this time, goes out and he comes back in, Mommy, look what I found. And Leah, in her mind, is thinking what? Cool. This is awesome. But Rachel happens to see it too, doesn't she? And Rachel is thinking, I need those. I've got to have those. Derek Kidner, who probably writes one of the best commentaries on the book of Genesis, says this about this very passage. He says this, it is a further example in this family of trading in things that should be above trade. We already see Jacob has traded, and Esau have traded away the birthright, right? And, and really, what, what he says here is, is that, you know what? The marriage bed is not for trade, right? Husbands and wives, is your bed up for sale? I hope not. But in this case, the marriage bed's up for sale. And in fact, Rachel wants him so bad, she says this to Leah, which gives you an indication of how much control Rachel has taken now. She says this, okay, I guess, guess what? You can have Jacob for tonight if I get the mandrakes. And she thinks to herself, this isn't a bad bargain. I'm going to get the love potion. Leah's womb has been closed. Nothing bad could happen here, right? Again, God makes babies, right? The irony of the situation is, who took the aphrodisiac? Who took the fertility drug? Rachel. Who didn't get pregnant? Who didn't take the fertility drug? Women are like, oh, I know this all too well. That's where number four and five came from. Right? 
Who didn't take the fertility drug? Leah. And who gets pregnant? Again, who makes babies? God makes babies. And by the time you get to verse 18, Leah has son number five, and she names him Issachar, which means wages. In other words, God is repaying me. God is repaying me for, what, for all the trouble I've been through. And then she has a, a sixth son whose name is Zebulun, which means dwelling or honor, which means this, that she was hoping that Jacob would eventually dwell with her. But it didn't happen, did it? Oh, and in the course of that, verse 21, she has a daughter named Dinah. Hold that thought. Dinah's going to be a big player in a couple chapters. But we come to the final account in verses 22 through 24. And how does it begin for Rachel? Then God remembered. Had, let's not misunderstand this. Had God forgotten about Rachel this whole time? No. No, God decided, Rachel, now it's your time. It's your time, Rachel. And so it says, God remembered, and God listened to her. And, and what does that tell us? If God's listening to her, what is Rachel doing, church? Don't be dumb this morning. Is she, is she praying? She is. She's finally praying. She stopped taking matters into her own hands, and she prays about this, and, and she's praying out of the depths of her despair. Can you resonate with that? She's probably praying a very similar prayer to the Psalm 69 that we read this morning. I'm in the pit here. God, help me. In the depths of her despair, she cries out to God, and God answers her prayers. And she gives to him a son, Joseph, who if you know anything about the book of Genesis, who's the main character at the end of the book of Genesis? It's Joseph. The whole story revolves around Joseph, doesn't it? Again, God makes babies. And when she says, when she names Joseph, she names him with a name of faith. Do you see it there? Verse 24, may the Lord add to me another son. Did God do that? Yeah, he did. That's coming later too. Not next week, not even the week after next week, but it's coming. But do you understand what mercy and grace it is that God wouldn't leave her childless? I was thinking about this this week in my office. If I'm God in this situation and I'm watching the way Rachel's behaving, one of the ways I might punish her is to never give her a son. How many of you are with me on that? You will never have a son because of the way you're acting. That's not who our God is, though. Our God's a merciful God, isn't he? Our God is a gracious God. Mercy means he doesn't give us what we do deserve, and grace means he gives us what we don't deserve. But before we go, there's some things I want you to latch on to here. There's some applications. The first application is, what a mess I said it already, right? I mean, this sounds like a made-for-ready movie for Netflix. It really does. It, 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 but go back to chapter 28. Go back to chapter 28. God makes a promise to Jacob in chapter 28. 
Remember, this is, this is when Jacob's having his dream, right? This is Jacob, he, he's on the run, and God comes to him and meets him, right? And, and, and as, as Jacob is there asleep, remember, this is where the stairway to heaven and, and all the angels coming up and down. And in verse 14, he says, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the family of the earth be blessed. Isn't it interesting? And in fact, if you were to do it right now and you go to the back of your Bible and you look at a map of Israel during the time of, of the kings and even before the kings, during the time of conquest, how is the map of Israel broken up, people? Broken up by Jacob's sons, isn't it? And guess what? It goes all the way from the north to the south from the east to the west, doesn't it? God's keeping his word in spite of the mess that Jacob was making. In spite of the mess that Jacob, you know, Jacob didn't step in at all. We have no record of Jacob stepping in and even trying to referee his wives, do, do we? But in spite of all that mess, God honors his word, not because Jacob is so faithful, certainly not because Leah is so faithful, and definitely certain not because Rachel is so faithful, it's because God is faithful. And that gives me hope. Because I don't know about you, but my, my life is a mess. But I got a faithful God. I got a faithful God. And in spite of my mess, he's going to accomplish his purpose. And no matter how messy you think your life is, I, I think all of us would, be, would look at the mess that Jacob and his family are in and think to ourselves, I don't think I've quite gotten to that point yet by the grace of God. And if there's hope for Jacob and his family, there's hope for mine, right? But there's a second thing I want you to take home. And it's the danger of desiring love and affection at all costs. It's the danger of making love and affection your big eye idol of your heart. How did that work for Leah? Did she ever get what she wanted? She didn't. The way Leah named her first four sons point out a danger. And it's the danger of making people or relationships our number one idol. been many a shipwreck in life because we made people the end goal of our game. There's only one person that were to make the end goal of our game, and that is Christ and Christ alone. And Leah made Jacob her conquest, and she never did win the conquest, did she? She never did. And there's danger in making love and affection the end game. It will leave you dissatisfied every time. Here's the thing that will happen. Even if you get the love of your life to love you, in the end, you're a part of the relationship and you bring a lot of heartache to the relationship. Am I right or am I right? You bring your own sin to the, to the relationship. There's only one that we're to desire and that's Christ and Christ alone. But I want you to say another take home here, and that's God's mercy in his dealing with Rachel and Leah. God is so patient with them. I sometimes wonder, 
and I know it's a good thing that, that, that God didn't give me any real power at all because if, if God had given me power over this situation, I would flick them all away like a stink bug. You guys are the worst. You're manipulative. You've got this bitter rivalry. You fight all the time. Who wants to be married to you? If there was ever a case for divorce in the scriptures, it's there. But God's patient with them, and what does he do? He gives to them sons. And he brings them both to a point where at least they get their eyes off of their situation and they start crying out to God, don't they? He brings them both to that point. Now, I don't know if they stay there, but, but they, he gets them both to the point where they can recognize this. I can't do this unless God intervenes, and that's where we all need to be isn't it? That's mercy. That's mercy. Leah in verse 18 says, God's given me my wages. God's given me my reward. In chapter 29, verse 35, she says, I will praise the Lord. Rachel in verse 23, God has taken away my reproach. And I, can I say that to us this morning as we close? That's who our God is. Our God's a God of mercy. Now, is His mercy going to last forever? Yeah, it is, but it's going to be expressed in different ways. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, we have this familiar passage of Scripture. The steadfast love, or the mercy of the Lord, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Is that true, church? They are new every morning because I am so great. No, they're new every morning because who's great? Because his faithfulness is great. And notice the response of the writer of Lamentations. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. I don't care how messy your life is. Our God is a God who specializes in working in messes and cleaning them up. He is. He's a merciful God. Many of you could stand right now and, and utter testimony of how God rescued you out of your mess and is rescuing you now out of your mess in a way that you never could even fathom. Not because you're so great, but because our God is a faithful God. And if you're in a mess right now, this is the time where you need to practice Lamentations 3, verse 24. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Stop putting your hope in your own dreams and your own ideas and your ability to get out of the mess. Getting out of a mess is kind of like when you get your car stuck in the mud and you just keep spinning the wheels. And what happens to the car? It just keeps going deeper, right? We need someone greater than the car to get us out, right? And that's where our God steps in. It's not our faithfulness, it's His. Because as the song says, His mercy is more. Would you join me in a word of prayer?